chapter 1. But I'm going to read from Luke first, so keep the Word of God. So I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1, but then we'll go back over, backwards, if you will, in your Bible, uh, to Matthew chapter 1. Now starting verse 26, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. Anyone doesn't have one, we can get them a Bible. Thank you. Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and as of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the, uh, the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born with you shall be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 1. That was Mary. Let's look at Joseph, her betrothed husband. In the, uh, in the Jewish context, you know, the marriage has three elements to full completion. You have the betrothal period. You have the ceremony, which, which is a big, big deal. It's quite a celebration. Remember, Jesus was there. His first miracle was at what? A marriage ceremony. And then lastly, you have the consummation of the marriage. We would consider like the honeymoon, if you will. So you have these three elements that bring together the fullness of the marriage, but you already have entered into marriage, if you will, with betrothal. It's, it's, it's deeper than even an engagement. Okay, the commitment's already been made. Uh, so they've been committed to marriage, but the fulfillment of marriage still has two elements left. Uh, it'd be like already entering the game. <laughs> you're, you're in it. So they, they, were, they were betrothed in marriage, but yet there's a fulfilling of some, a couple of pieces. Now, let's look at uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and uh, what he encounters. Similar situation, only different. Starting with uh, verse 18, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, and his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, see there's the marriage element, being a just man, not wanting to make, a, make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, said Joseph has more of a vision or dream. Mary actually has the angel physically while she's awake. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now that's uh, in Isaiah 7:14. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. He did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now back in Isaiah, as uh, Isaiah 17 is quoted there, and uh, Russ had just co- quoted just a few minutes ago, that well-known passage in Isaiah 9 as well. And in Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. And peace there will be no end. And back in the seventh chapter, uh, which is quoted here by Matthew, Then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive his name Emmanuel. Now all of that was well before, hundreds of years before, Mary and Joseph are visited by an angel. And I want this morning, I want the text to speak for itself. You say, well, of course it's going to. Well, my line of thinking is this. Back when I was in college, I was originally a broadcast journalism major. I later changed to a, a business and a marketing focus, but uh, but back in, you know, when I was a journalism major, I worked for Metro-Dade uh, uh, government, and I was in their communications department. Then I later held an internship with Channel 7 News, which at that time was the number one rated news uh, channel in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and I was part of the investigative reporting group. And at that time, as the investigative reporting group, what we did, our job was to assemble all the facts, assemble all the facts, interview and document all eyewitnesses, if something, if something we were investigating, and we were to bring certain situations to light which hadn't been brought to light before. That's what investigative reporting does. Now, I would love to interview many of the people in the Bible, wouldn't you? Just to sit down and have a one-on-one interview with many of the people in the Bible. Ask them questions. Moses, what was it like? Sometimes you say, you don't want to know. <laughs> but there's many people I'd want to interview, but those associated with the birth of Christ are as interesting and instructive as any you'll find in Scripture. They were part of something, think about it, they were part of something eternally unique, something that has only happened once in all of history and all of eternity, only once, and something that's essential in God bringing salvation from heaven to earth. All those things they would have been a part of. Now, though we can't interview those related to Christ's birth, we actually have their testimonies. We actually have their eyewitness account, and in a number of occasions, we have their actual eyewitness words, the actual things they said. So we do have a witness that we can look back and look at it from an interview perspective, if you will. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, What Was Revealed? That's a question mark. What 
was revealed. Now, the obvious thing is, well, well, I know it was revealed. Jesus came, but I think there's a lot more than that, although that in and of itself is monumental, and that would be an understatement. But I want us to take a look this morning at a few of the primary people. You just, you just saw two. I would say most people would consider, other than Christ himself, Mary and Joseph as the, the primary characters in what unfolds in Scripture. But I want to take a look this morning at some of the primary people in Christ's arrival. We'll look at them mostly in chronological order because primarily it's written in chronological order, but not entirely when you take Luke and Matthew and put them together. All of what we'll look at is biographical in nature, what these individuals, what they were seeing, what they experienced, and what we would look at when we look at the Scripture from their account. But looking back, when we look at what they experienced, what they saw, what was shown to them, it wasn't shown to everybody, but what was shown to them, I want us to apply it. The Lord wants us to apply it. And what we can learn by what was revealed. What we can learn, what we can apply by what was revealed. Now I want to start with Mary for obvious reasons. Mary's the one that would hold Christ for the term of the pregnancy. She also appears to be the first one, at least from a human perspective, aside from whatever was revealed to Zacharias and Elizabeth, because they also play a role in the whole uh, birth of Christ too, but I don't have time to address them this morning. But let's look first at Mary. Mary, she was living in Nazareth. She was, as the text tells us, she was betrothed, or she was, had already entered into the marriage relationship, but not the fulfillment of the marriage. There was still the ceremony yet to be, and there was still the consummation of the marriage that yet to take place. So she was, in our terms, engaged, but again, it's deeper. It's a deeper bond than engagement. They're already in the marriage relationship. She's betrothed to Joseph. Um, we know he is, according to the text, a good and just man. Now, there's no one good in the sense that he's a sinner just like us, but he was living a righteous life. So she was married to a man that was living a righteous life, and it's clear that Mary herself was living a very righteous, pure life. Both of them were worshiping the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, the best that they knew how, and the Lord saw that. Her husband was a carpenter who, like Mary, he was also from the tribe of Judah. Both were from the tribe of Judah, would have to be from the tribe of Judah for the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus would come from the seed of David and from the tribe of Judah. Now suddenly an angel appears to her, and we know that the angel's name is Gabriel in this particular case. And he tells her that she's highly favored. That she was blessed. And these are the exact descriptions the Scripture tells us. I'm just telling you exactly what the Scripture says. She was highly favored. This is the angel says. You're highly favored. She's blessed that she had found favor with God. Who doesn't want to find favor with God? Does anyone here not want favor with God? We pray for His favor upon our lives. Now, what's her response? Initially, she's afraid and troubled. Now, a couple of reasons. It's not every day that an angel shows up. And 
just shows up and, and you've never seen an angel. You know they exist because they, they're, they're told of in the Old Testament as well, or the, in the Hebrew, the Tanakh. Those, we know that the, uh, the angels existed, but to know one exists and actually have one visit you is a different thing altogether. But she also, it says that she didn't understand the manner of the greeting. Not only is the angel troubling, but oh, by the way, you're favored, highly favored. Uh-oh. Whenever God visits people in the Bible, they're getting called to something. Right? What manner of What could this possibly be about? Well, she about, then she finds out. The angel tells her, because you're so favored, because God has looked upon you and has chosen you, you will conceive and have a son. And his name would be Jesus or Yeshua. But that's not all. Not only will you have a son, he's not just any son. She is informed that her son will be great. Again, I want the text to speak for itself this morning. She will be, that, that he will be great. That he will be son of the highest. That God would give him the throne of King David. And remember, the, the Davidic throne had been in a long lapse since Israel was carried away into captivity. But he would receive the throne of his father David. He would rule and reign over the house of Jacob for a few years. Forever. How long is forever? Never will end. And of his kingdom, just for emphasis, the angel says, there will be no end. That's what she's told. This, this will be your son. He will be like no other king that has ever hit the earth. He will rule and reign forever. He will be greater than all kings. He'll rule over the entire world. Amazing. Incredible. Glorious. Can you imagine any mom being told this? Your son, he's going to sit high above the Caesars, the Pharaohs, the Herods, all of them. He's going to rule and reign forever. He's going to reestablish the throne of David. And he's never going to, never going to give it up. Once he takes the throne, it's over. He'll rule and reign. Now, at this point, Mary stops the angel for a question. I have a question. How can I get pregnant? Now, it's, it's clear that she understood. The Bible doesn't give every detail, but when you, when you kind of read the text, you know, it's clear that she understood this was immediate or imminently going to happen. There wasn't going to be, at whatever level, you know when you, when you pray in the Spirit, God just speaks to you, and sometimes you can't, you can't, the thought is there before you audibly even spoke it. She immediately understands in her spirit that this is not some delayed thing. This is about to happen fast. But she doesn't know how that's going to happen. Because the ceremony, we don't even know when it was scheduled. It could have been months away still. And the consummation of the marriage, again, that would come after. So she, she senses, hey, this is going to happen immediately. But how is it going to happen? Me and Joseph, we have a ways to go. 
I'm only betrothed to him right now. And then Gabriel answers her question by saying, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The same type of Holy Spirit that gave Samson amazing strength any moment that God wanted to give him is going to come upon you. And just like your relative Elizabeth got pregnant in old age, which was a miracle, yours will be a miracle, but even greater miracle, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that Holy One to be born will be called not just this great king, he's the Son of God. What would you do with that if you're Mary? I mean, the weight of it all. I mean, who would be worthy to carry God's only begotten son? Who would be worthy to even have God say, I I want you to do this for me? She still doesn't know how this is going to happen. So the angel gives her one final revelation. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. So just let it be understood, Mary, that this is all easy for God. None of it will be impossible, including carrying you through all this. Now, what can we learn? We don't have a lot of time this morning, but in the time that we have, what can we learn by what was revealed to Mary in just that little bit of text It's us going back and looking at this eyewitness account. What can we learn of what was revealed to her? Number one, if you're taking notes, a couple things. Number one, if you're faithfully serving the Lord, God notices when no one else does. Just a common woman of her day serving the Lord in relative obscurity. She wasn't even living in Judah, which was the land of her ancestry. They were up in Galilee. Uh, Nazareth was not considered near as cool, <laughs> to put it in our terms, uh, as Jerusalem or, or, the, or the Judean area. Certainly not compared to Jerusalem. But if you're faithfully serving the Lord and no one else notices, God still does. And he'll send, a he- he'll send an angel from heaven if he has to. And he did here. Number two, we can learn from Mary, don't be afraid of what God calls you to. No one's ever been called to what she was called to. No one in all of history, she's the only person ever called to carry the Son of God. Not a single other person in all of history has ever will or ever will again, have this very unique, specific job that God gave her. But don't be afraid. Even if it's way over your head, and guess what? It's all over our heads. Everything God calls you to is over your head. The problem with most people is they think it's not, and that's pride, and that's self-reliance. And God doesn't want self-reliance. He wants us to rely on Him. It's all over our heads. And the third thing, I love this third one, she knows, she's told unequivocally. You know that song, Mary, Did You Know? There's a lot of questions in that song. You know that she knew a lot of them? 
Here's one she knew. That Jesus is Lord. Make no mistake, he will rule and reign over the nations. She knew it then. See, this is why later in life, when Jesus is about to perform his first miracle, no one else knows that, but of course he does, Mary tells the others there, whatever he says to do, do it. It's pretty obvious Mary knows this is the king. This is the Son of God. Whatever he says to do it. What if if he tells us something really, really out there? Do it. I was told even before he was born that he will rule and reign over the nations. And the fourth thing, anything is possible with God. That's what she was told by the angel. Anything is possible with God. Going back, these are the things that Mary, if we were interviewing her, say, what did you learn? Well, here's what I learned that day, but then I learned it in life. Right? Then I had to learn it over time. But I was immediately communicated. Now let's move over to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1. You don't have to, we can turn back there. Uh, We may glance at a thing or two, but. So then you have Joseph. He finds himself in an odd place. An angel appears to Joseph. He finds out his wife is pregnant. They still have two parts of the marriage to complete. And she's pregnant. And he doesn't know what to do. An angel appears to Joseph. It tells us from the text as he's dealing with understandable fear. He's got questions. He's got anxiety. This could be troubling in a lot of ways. The community pressure, the embarrassment, possibly a threat on Mary's life herself. There's a lot of ways that this could go bad. Mary's with child. And despite Joseph's fears, again, we want to let the text speak for itself. Despite his fears and his doubts, I believe it's clear that Joseph still loves Mary. And he wants to protect her. Why? Since he's a just man. And he wants to put her away secretly that nothing would happen or harm her. Now it appears that Mary has told Joseph about the angel and how the Holy Spirit came upon her. And you certainly think she would. If you become pregnant and you've stayed pure and your betrothed husband says, what gives... You're going to have to say nothing but the truth. I don't know how to tell you this, but an angel, his name was Gabriel, showed up. And this is how it went down. Joseph's like, (laughs) and this is not one you hear every day, right? But it appears that she, and how do I come to the conclusion? I, I don't know definitively, but I believe she had already told him. Verse 18, it says, Um, And it says, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That it was understood that her child was of the Holy Spirit. That That was what she understood. That is what he was, I believe, told by her. Again, we don't have a absolute definitive of how that went down. But we know that he 
knows she's pregnant because he wants to put her aside secretly, and he wants to put her aside discreetly in a way that protects her. And he probably, he probably wants to believe her. He probably wants to believe her. He's a righteous man. He knows God does miracles. He knows God worked on behalf of Moses and Elijah and the prophets. You know, when you, you, know when you believe everything that God says in his word and God says, all right, now, tr- now, now reach out and do it. Then you're like, oh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, Mary's probably telling Joseph, would I ever lie to you about this? This is an angel. He's like, I, I, know, I, I know God can do these things. I know it's easy for him to do it, but I've never seen this. He's probably struggling with it. It says that these, he's, um, the angel says that he's thinking about these things. Who wouldn't have a lot of thoughts? They're rotating around in his mind. He wants to believe or I believe, but he's being told that he's going to have to defy observable science, observable biology, and a few thousand years of precedence, right? That's all he has to suspend. And yet, remember, for the God that spoke everything out of nothing, when you and I aren't here, if God didn't speak it all into existence, this is not hard for God, but it's hard for our small brains. And Joseph was struggling with, I I know God can do it, but did he do it? Is this what took place? I know Mary's always been honorable, always been righteous, always been truthful, and I want to believe that she still is. And then it's while Joseph, in Matthew one twenty, there, while he's thinking about these things, about what has happened, what he should do, how he should proceed, he's trying to figure out what's the way forward here. An angel shows up in his dream. Now, not just in his dream, this is a literal, you know, angels can actually literally show up in your dream just like in your bedroom, which hopefully is where you have your dreams, but anyway. But he shows up, and he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. How did, that's what I was thinking about. That's exactly what I was struggling with. To, do I go forward in this marriage? And the angel says, Yes. You're betrothed, carry it forward, complete the marriage, but not until the baby's born. Don't be afraid to take Mary of your, your wife. And he goes on, the angel adds, that which conceived is, I have capitalized in my notes, is of the Holy Spirit. You were wondering, is it of the Holy Spirit? The angel says, yes, it is of the Holy Spirit. You're wondering, for sure is it the Holy Spirit? Yes, Mary has not betrayed you. God has chosen her for a special calling. And guess what? You're part of it too. You're in it together, both of you. Mary and Joseph, you're going to be called into this together. Now, just as Gabriel told Mary, this angel tells Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. But the angel goes on to explain the meaning as well, that the meaning will be, he will save his people from their sins. The meaning is given. He'll save his people from their sins. Now Matthew tells us that Mary's miraculous pregnancy and the one she's carrying 
fulfills Isaiah 7.14. Matthew here tells us definitively this fulfills Isaiah 7.14, which I read earlier. The virgin shall bring forth a child, you'll call his name and value it. Again, this sign is some 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. It was given way back, 700 years by the prophet Isaiah. 700 years earlier, Isaiah says, a virgin will bring forth a child, you'll call his name Emmanuel, and then Jesus here, coming to Mary, coming to Joseph, is the fulfillment of this sign. Now this is the first of three proclaimed signs. They're actually called signs, first of three, uh, related to Christ coming to the world. There are other significant signs too, such as John the Baptist, the star that the Magi would come and, and follow that would actually finally settle over Bethlehem. Those are significant signs. But this is the first of the three named signs. Those others are signs as well. They're just not referred to as signs, but no doubt they're also signs as well. Now, perhaps the Lord had brought this Isaiah passage. Think about it. Joseph's a just man, a man that loves God's word, a man that has probably heard much of the Old Testament growing up in his life. What if the Lord had actually put into his mind Isaiah 7.14? You know, you're wrestling with everything, and then you say, there is that one verse but there's no way that my Mary is that one verse. We're nobodies. We're nobodies in Nazareth. There's no way that that Isaiah 7.14 is my Mary. It's impossible. It can't be. And the angel says, it is. You were wondering about Isaiah 7.14? This is it. You guys are entering in to the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. And now as he wakes, he's seen that this passage is being fulfilled before his very eyes. That yes, he has a dilemma, but God has a plan. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine knowing that it's your responsibility now to raise God's son? Dads, we don't feel adequate for the sons we've been given, and we have not been given the Son of God. What a heavy, heavy load. Remember I said it's all over our heads? It's over Joseph's head, too. And his response, what does he do? Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded. What did Mary say? Let it be according to your word. You want to see righteous people? Even with their hands shaking, say, yes, Lord. That's what righteous people do. Uh, Okay. And they move forward. Faith is always against the backdrop of fear. Each time, do not be afraid. 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 Move forward. And he gets up and says, I got a job to do. I've got to take care of Mary. If anyone tries to slander her, criticize her, I've got to protect her. I've got to move forward because this really is from God. And if it's from God, it can't fail. Isn't that great? What can we learn from Joseph? What's revealed to him? A couple of things. Number one, when our hearts are right, 
We're walking in righteousness. And we're trying to do the right thing. See, God knows our heart. He knows when we're trying to do right and we're trying to just get by with doing the bare minimum. You can't fool God. You can fool people. You can tell people, I was doing the best I could. They think you are, and God says, you're lying to them, you're lying to yourself, and you're definitely lying to me. But when God knows the heart, and Joseph, he's not perfect, he's not, uh, you know, neither him or Mary are perfect in and of themselves, but when God sees in Joseph doing the best that he can and trying to do it as unto the Lord, the Lord will come to our aid. We can be assured that God will come to our aid. Number two, the Lord comes to calm our fears and doubts. Did he have fears? Yes. Did he have doubts? Yes. Did he have questions? Yes. That's why he needs a wonderful counselor, right? Which is one of Jesus' names, to come and calm those fears and those doubts. And number three, remember Mary, she was told the name Jesus, but then he gets the meaning of the name Jesus, and she was told he would be king of the world. But Joseph said, is told that Jesus came to save people from sin. He will save his people from their He came to save people from sin, which is man's greatest need, not to save people from the Roman emperor or the Caesar, but to save them from sin. And number four, Joseph, it's revealed to him that the son that Joseph and Mary would raise was God coming in human flesh. Emmanuel, God coming in human flesh. There's a lot to learn from those two, but I want to look at a couple more, and then we'll come to a close. It wasn't just Joseph and Mary. There was also some shepherds. Stay here. Actually, turn over to Luke. We'll come back to that. Turn over to Luke this time. Chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, the the, uh, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 is where you find uh, the complementary text of the coming of Christ's birth. But in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 6, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And if you remember... There's a census that Caesar Augustus commands, which brings them from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because uh, it has to be fulfilled in Bethlehem according to uh, the prophets. So let's take a look at what takes place. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed to be her, her to be delivered. Verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I'm sure you've heard uh, teachings on that. That's... That's a problem, too, that there was no room for Christ, starting in verse 8. Now, there was in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping, the sheep, uh, keeping watch over the sheep by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Common theme. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You shall find him, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
goodwill toward men. In verse 15, it says, the angels went on to say, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. Later on, they would actually go and tell many of what they saw. Now, you have a group of shepherds. You've seen, you've seen Mary's situation. You've seen Joseph's situation. Now you have a group of shepherds. They don't even know who Mary and Joseph are. They don't leave the sheep much. They're not up on the news. Their life is sheep. Just out there, daytime, nighttime, rain, cold, sweat, doesn't matter. This is their life. You have a group of shepherds out in the dark in the cold of the night, and an angel appears. An angel appeared to Mary. An angel appeared to Joseph. Now an angel appears to these shepherds. And once again, like the others, they're afraid. Now Hebrews 13.2 says, Some have unwittingly entertained angels. Some of us may have met angels in our lifetime and didn't know it. True. That's altogether different than when you actually meet one and they're glorified. And things shine about them, right? This is a face-to-face encounter with one of God's powerful angels. Isn't it fascinating, too, this angel visits these shepherds. It's fascinating to me, maybe it is to you, but uh, it's fascinating to me that the great shepherd, which is one of Jesus' names, The great shepherd's arrival is given to shepherds. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23 as well, right? He's that great shepherd of our faith. And the shepherds are revealed the coming of this shepherd. Moses and David also, forerunners to Christ, a prophet like unto Moses, Jesus called, taking the throne of David. Moses and David were both what? Shepherds. Before they became great leaders of men, they were great leaders of sheep. God wants to come to those that are responsible and taking care of the task they've been given. To whom much is given, much is required, but to whom whatever he's faithful in little will be faithful and much. And these shepherds had been faithful with what they'd been doing, and God was about to give them revelation like they would have never in their wildest imagination expect to receive. What can we learn from what the Lord made known to them by the angels? Well, one, these shepherds hear that the birth of Christ is good news. It's called good tidings. The gospel defined is also called what? Good news. That's what it means. It means good news. Glad tidings. Good tidings. Good news. And who is it for? Well, it says it's for all people. The shepherds received the message, but it wasn't just for them because they would end up going and telling others because why? It was for all people. And that doesn't mean everyone will see it as good news. But it is good news. Doesn't mean everyone will agree that it's good news, but it is good news. Third thing, the one that they are sent to is Savior, but he's also Christ, which means anointed. 
And remember from past studies that anointed was applied to prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings received an anointing of oil for their calling. Jesus is prophet, he's priest, and he's king, and he's savior, a savior who is Christ, and then the last, Lord. Lord is, you know, synonymous with kingship, rulership, authority, master over everything. The one they were going to go visit was going to be a savior, a prophet, a priest, a king, and a ruler. And oh, by the way, the fourth one, here's where you're going to find him, in a feed trough. Everything made sense until that point, right? Wow, an incredible angel. He's going to be a savior. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to be a king. He's going to be anointed. Where will we find him? In a feed trough. Wrapped in some nondescript, pieces of cloth that were also used for burial. He'll be in a humble, lowly place. And then the fifth thing, he's come to bring peace. Peace, goodwill towards men. They're told he's come to bring peace and goodwill. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't have peace without the Prince of Peace. We have another one of his names back in Isaiah 9.6. Joseph got wonderful counselor. They got Prince of Peace. They all got the Savior. They went out and told. A couple other quick ones. Turn with me back to Matthew because we want to see a contrast here. As I mentioned, not everyone receives good news as good news. Herod had a different response, but he also got some very specific revelation. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. This was up to two years after the birth of Christ. So again, it's not all chronological, although this so far this would be chronological because we're just moving forward. Uh, We don't know the exact. It could be anywhere from zero to two years in difference, but most scholars believe we're looking at a one to two year later scenario. This is why Herod would end up killing the baby boys under the age of two. But starting in verse two, and uh, they're saying, this is the the Magi, or the wise men speaking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. We have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He wasn't troubled like Joseph. Joseph was troubled about doing what was right and how to go forward and do what was right. Herod is troubled because he's not living a righteous life. He's troubled about could this upset his apple cart. He doesn't want any competition, doesn't want a king. And he goes on, says, When all the people are gathered together, the chief priests, the scribes, the people together, they inquired where the Christ or the anointed one was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd, there's that shepherd again, shepherd my people. And when Herod had called, secretly called the wise men, he determined when the star appeared. You know the rest. He goes on. 
to deceptively say, hey, okay, you can get the child to me. I also want to worship. You find out where he's at. I want to worship him too. He wants to stamp him out. It's revealed to Herod a couple of things. It's revealed to Herod that the king of the Jews has already been born. Where is he who has been born? It's already happened. Herod is told the king has already been born. That's why he's saying, go find him for me. He's been born, and you couldn't stop it. Isn't that great? He's already been born. He's already on the earth, and you don't know where he's at. Well, he's probably in Bethlehem. Okay. Of course, when they finally get to Bethlehem, he's not in Bethlehem. The Lord moves him down to Egypt, right? But he's been revealed that the the king of the Jews has been born. Secondly, that God has put a star in the heavens. This is another sign, not one of the named signs, but clearly one of the signs. He's put a star in the heaven that both corresponds to his birth and the location of his birth. This is why the uh, Magi, who were actually following the uh, constellations and the star patterns, could actually map it and come to the very place where the star settled over the land of Judah, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. The Herod's own scribes, his own scribes, he grabs the chief priest, he grabs the scribes, he gets all the religious learned men together and say, can you guys verify where he's supposed to be born? And they all say, Bethlehem, plain as day. Micah the prophet tells us this, it's, and then in Hosea, that he'll rule and shepherd his people. His own scribes verify, Micah 5.2 and Hosea 11.1. A ruler and a shepherd would come for Israel. He'd be born in Bethlehem. Now, by the way, Herod was a ruler, but he was no shepherd. See, only godly men are shepherds. Dads, you're called to be a shepherd, not a dictator. Herod was a dictator. Jesus is a shepherd. Now, he's also a king, but he's a king that's also a shepherd. And you want kings that have a shepherd's heart. You want fathers that have a shepherd's heart. You want pastors that have a shepherd's heart. You want leaders that have a shepherd's heart. Herod is a leader. He's a ruler, but he's no shepherd. He's a guy that will slaughter sheep, not take care of them. And that's exactly what he did. He slaughtered a bunch of baby boys under the age of two because he rejected it all. It's interesting that lowly shepherds found about, out about all this two years before he did. Up to two years before. We don't know the exact amount. But lowly shepherds found out about it before Herod did. His intel didn't help. Didn't stop the birth. His secret police and all the other things all escaped. God took care of it, brought his son. But it's all revealed to Herod. Herod has an opportunity at this point. He could receive this and turn to the king, to the shepherd, to the Lord. But what does he do? He fully rejects it. He he flatly rejects it. The good news and glad tidings to his ears are repulsive. Isn't that interesting? Shepherds, this is wonderful news. Mary, how could you possibly pick me? Joseph, I will arise and do this. Herod, who can I kill? To stop it. No interest whatsoever in it being glad tidings. It's not glad tidings to Herod. And folks, it's not glad tidings to everybody. 
but we still have to bring it as glad tidings. Doesn't mean that everyone will receive it. Herod didn't receive it as glad tidings. He was highly offended by this news. Sad, isn't it? Because Herod was trying to hold on to a kingdom that had already been weighed and found wanting, that Mary had already been told all the other kingdoms will be under his feet. Herod, you can't win this battle. You surrender to this Jesus. You can't win it. But he's trying to hold on, and so many people are trying to hold on to things that will ultimately fail them, won't they? 1 Peter 2.7 says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And Herod would one day have to kneel before Christ, because everyone will kneel before Jesus. Every kneel bow, every tongue will confess. Herod had the chance to do it then, but he said, no thanks. But he'll have to do it again later anyway. And by then, it's judgment as opposed to him being a shepherd and you be brought into the sheepfold of God. And then last, one final return to Mary and Joseph. Turn with me back to Luke. Luke chapter 2. Your Bibles are getting a workout, I know. God loves it. He loves to hear the pages rustling. Luke chapter 2, back to Mary and Joseph. Now, we could also include Simeon here because he's the one that gets the uh, information from the Lord. But Mary and Joseph receive it. And so, and a, so now they're together as mom and dad. Jesus has been born. Now, this is not chronologically. This is just one more biographical look. We looked at these different biographical sketches, if you will. Back to Mary and Joseph. Jesus has been circumcised on the eighth day. They now go into the temple. And in verse 25, they're in Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named was Simeon. This man was just and devout. Just as Joseph was just, so was Simeon. Righteous, living a righteous life. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, also known as Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your words, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring, there it is, revelation, revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled. They had already seen a lot of things and they were marveling. They marveled at the things that were spoken. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall, the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Again, if you asked Mary, did you know? She would say, yes. I found out just days after Jesus was born that he was going, a a sword was going to pierce through my very own soul that he had come for salvation. But it would be something that would be really painful to deal with. 
but the thoughts and hearts of many would be revealed. And God would shine light and bring revelation to not just Israel, but also the Gentile world. And we would learn, Joseph and I together, that our son had come not just to rule over Israel, but he was going to bring light to the Gentiles, glory. But it was going to take a fall. Jesus was going to have to give his own life first. That Their son had come not just to, just to zip up the charts and sit down the throne, but he would have to go lower than he already was in the manger, even lower to death piercing her own heart. Can you imagine as a mom knowing that your son will someday be crucified? We don't know exactly what she knew, but if you look in the Psalms, for example, we actually see his hands and feet pierced. Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgression. So as the Lord would reveal things to Joseph and Mary, they, whatever they knew, we don't know the exact amount, but Simeon's already told them it's going to be hard which you're going to have to endure, but it's going to bring salvation to the whole world. And that is the final revelation. This all takes place, with the exception of the Herod part, that's a couple of years later, but everything else takes place within a short period of time. Nine, ten, ten months and change. And then about two years later is the, is the Herod uh, incident, if you will. But what the Lord is saying to us, I believe, with the, you know, when we look back at this uh, story that never gets old, we look back at what God did in sending His only begotten Son, you know, we can look back and we see the whole thing. But it's been revealed to us that the Lord is for us, that He came to be our shepherd, Right? that he came to help us handle things that were over our head. But beyond all that, he came to give his life a ransom for us. Not the good people, all people. Because there is none good but God. And this is the revelation. I look back and I, and I uh, try and digest what it is that they showed. And there's a lot of practical application but it all points to the glory of Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one that can comfort you. He's the only one that can actually give you wisdom. He's the only one that can actually help you handle the biggest of tasks. He's the only one that can save our soul. So yes, a lot was revealed. But it's not just what it's revealed. The question is, with revelation, do we receive it like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds? Or do we receive it like Herod? We're all given the same information. We're all holding the same Bible, but we all don't have the same response to it. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you did great and mighty things in the sending forth of your Son. And Lord, you didn't choose rich, powerful people. Quite to the contrary. You chose Joseph, a carpenter. You chose Mary, just a maidservant. You chose shepherds watching their sheep. And Lord, you spurned the well-known, the famous, the powerful to reveal to those that were just humbly seeking your grace. 
you came on a mercy mission. And Lord, we thank you that you still, even to this very hour, even to this very minute, are still coming with that same mission of mercy to a lost and a dying world. And Lord, it's for this reason we know that we have glad tidings because even though the world is full of travail and and, uh, bloodshed and, and natural disasters and all the like, Lord, you and you alone will someday, as you told Mary through the angel Gabriel, you will establish your kingdom forever. Now, before we close and worship, I just want to throw out the good news one more time. I mean, we've, we've heard it in the text. He's come for salvation. He's come to save people from their sins. The text speaks for itself. But is there anyone here at all that says, you know, I'm not doing the really wicked things like Herod. I've never killed any baby boys. I'm not a dictator. I'm not doing really evil stuff. But that's not what God's going to judge us for on Judgment Day. He's not going to say, did you do really, really evil, evil, evil stuff? Oh, you were pretty good. There will not, no one will hear, you were pretty good. But is there anyone here at all that says, you know, I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him to cleanse me for my sins, for the thoughts that I know are wrong, for using his name in vain. Right? For hating someone, even for a period of time. Well, I don't hate them anymore. It's still a bloodstain of sin on our record. And only Jesus can wipe it clean. Mary needed Jesus to be her Savior. You know, even her, her uh, relative Elizabeth, it says in the text, she says, Why should it be that I should meet my Lord's mother? Lord. She recognized it. She needed Jesus too. So I just want to, as our heads are bowed for just a moment, if there's anyone here that says, you know, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. Just raise your hand right where it is, and we'll pray a prayer. I'll lead you in a prayer. Anyone at all, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. We've had a number of people do that this year, and praise the Lord for it. Anyone else say, you know, I just want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. There is not another, there's not another way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he came. Anyone at all? And I'll say this as well, but, you know, I'll be here after the service. You want to talk, anyone wants to talk to me or, you know, one of our elders or one of the leadership here, we'd be glad to sit and go through the scriptures with you. But it really is good news. You know, I mentioned those police officers that were shot and killed yesterday. People, I don't know how many people died while I was sharing this message. I used to know the statistic. I've forgotten it for the moment, per hour. It does, dying is not the biggest thing. It's are you ready for it? Amen? There's no bulletproof protective armor that can stop a heart attack. Right? There's no bulletproof armor that can stop a stroke. There's, no, there's lots of things. You can have all the protection in the world, all the money in the bank, all the everything, and yet the Lord can say, today your soul is required. True? 
And I, you know, the, the, the most important thing, I don't know anything about those two officers or, or anyone else that passed away yesterday, but the main thing is where was their soul? Was it ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen?